Welcome to Out of Left Field with Bart Gregory and Charlie Winfield. For the next hour, it's all college football. And it's brought to you by Farm Bureau, Go With the Home Team, Country Police and Sausage, and Cannon Ford of Starkville. Nobody beats a cannon deal. Nobody. And now, here are your hosts, Bart Gregory and Charlie Winfield. And welcome to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau, Bart Gregory and Charlie Winfield. Charlie, we took a little break, got away from baseball. I decided to eat a little bit more. You decided to go get the tan on the beach. It's hard to believe football season is right around the corner. Weren't sure this football season would ever get here. It was so much debate been going on over the past few months about whether you would have a season, whether you would not have a season. We could do an entire show on the Big Ten and their failure to properly prepare for this football season. But hey, we're here. They're going to play now. They're going to play after saying, hey, we're not going to play. We're not going to revisit it. Now the 23rd, 24th of October, they're going to be you know about a month behind us. But, I mean, they've been a month behind the SEC all year long, it seems, anyway. Well, it's one of those things you rush out to be first. Maybe be right before you try to be first. Try to get some other people on the island. The other, <laughs> Absolutely. The other people weren't biting. Charlie, it's amazing. And First of all, we're brought to you by Farm Bureau, our good friends at Farm Bureau, Henry Hamill and the gang. They have agents throughout the state of Mississippi. Here's the great thing about Farm Bureau. It's all about customer service. You've got the Farm Bureau app. You can go in. You can make your payments. You can report a claim. And there's so many advantages to being a Farm Bureau member with those with that membership discounts on hotels for one thing, just so many different ways that the Farm Bureau takes care of their clients. And, and, Charlie, the last time we talked football, well, the last time we talked football on the radio Ooh, boy. was after the Louisville game in the Music City Bowl. and We were in a good mood that night. We were not in a good <laughs> mood that night. And, and to be honest with you, we had to, to fight back some things as well. And I look back and I think of – one thing that Jim Ellis, the voice of the Diamond Dogs, taught me when I went to work for Jim in March of 2000, 20 years ago and six months ago, and I still heed this advice. Jim says, hey, the key to this business, the key to college athletics is to make sure that you keep the university at the utmost importance over a coach that you don't get too close to any coach because coaches are good people. Sometimes people get led astray from a situation of they are more beholden to a coach than they are to what their job is with the university. And so I say that to say this. I like Joe Moorhead. I like Joe Moorhead as a person. Joe Moorhead did a lot of great things for the Golden Triangle area, the Boys and Girls Club. He was good around town. He was very good with the police department. He handled everything very well away from the field. He had great friendships. But at the end of the Music City Bowl, Charlie, you and I both said, something ain't working. And if you'd have told me that night, that a month later, that Mike Leach is going to be your head football coach, I'd have told you you were crazy. Absolutely. Go back in time to that night. What were the things that we were not terribly happy about? One of them is there just seemed to be a disconnect, for whatever reason, between a coaching staff and a group of players. And the thing that makes it 
just so hard to figure out for me is Joe Moorhead was a player's coach. Joe Moorhead was a guy who related to his players. They liked him, but for whatever reason, didn't perform for him. And we live in this world today where people focus so much on the personalities at the top. We talk about we want a fiery coach. We want a hot young coach. We want an innovative coach. We want a player's coach. We want a disciplinary. You want all these things. Ultimately, style is just one piece of it. The question is, can you teach? Can you translate? Can you motivate? And for whatever reason, in this system, it wasn't working. And so Mike Leach enters the equation. And so the first thing you think of with Mike Leach, oh, dink and dunk offense. It's going to be just quick hitters with a passing game. This is really going to take the toughness away from a, a football program <laughs> that, that has to rely on toughness in the SEC. But when you really do a deep dive into Mike Leach, he is an old-school football coach. That's the thing that's interesting. You could go back and you could make the argument that in Mississippi State's history, who was the toughest coach? Who was the guy that – you'd have to think Jackie, right? You'd have to think Jackie Sherrill, the guy who had players ready to go out, be blue-collar and play. And he did it primarily running the football. Mike Leach is a guy who's going to come out and very rarely run the football. He's going to throw the football. But when you walk behind those doors and you walk out on that practice field, this is a tough guy. Take all the Twitter videos aside – this is a hard-nosed, tough, disciplinary football coach, and it seems crazy to say we're going to tighten things up while bringing in the air raid, but I think that's what's about to happen. Did you have one of the old Iron Dog posters? Remember I did. that? The I Mike did. Grant Iron Dog, you know, we're going to train like seals. And it was almost like that's when it went downhill. Just uh, We didn't have the toughness after that. We wanted to give the appearance of toughness, but we didn't have the toughness. Having been by the Leach Beach out on the practice field once or twice, I think this team's going to be plenty tough. Okay, and so what happens? What happens anytime this happens? Because anytime you have a coach where you go from a quote-unquote player's coach and you go to a very disciplined style, a lot of that is determined by the head coach. It's determined by the head coach through the strength staff through the performance staff, as they are called now. It's not the old strength coaches. It's performance enhancement. Is that a word that we can use? I think so. Okay. But it always happens where you have guys, even in different philosophies, even if you're going to more of a player, you have guys leave the program. You have guys, you have turnover. And so where it has hit Mississippi State the hardest, you would have to say, is on the defensive side. We're probably not going to have the depth that we've had in years past on the defensive side. And that's one of the things that's going to have to be shored up in the recruiting world. But when you start looking at losing players, players opting out, this happens everywhere and more prevalent now that you have the transfer rules that are more lax. But it's a situation of, hey, this just happens. Well, here's the good news. You do feel like you're going to be a little down on defense. You still got a chance to outscore them, throw it around the yard and see what happens. And here's the thing about Mike Leach is, yes, he was hired in January, but then you think back to COVID hitting in mid-March. They were about to start spring practice in the next couple of weeks. And then everybody disbanded camp. Then you had the summer, and you didn't know if you were going to play football. And to be honest with you, you thought you were going to play football. Then a month later, you were like, oh, just, I'll tell you what, it may be 30%. And now all of a sudden, we're inside of two weeks nine days away from playing college football, and it looks like, barring something crazy happening, we're going to play college football. 
but without spring practice, Mike Leach did not have a viable practice where he's standing out on the practice field, getting a team ready, installing his offense from his lips until August. So now all of a sudden you've got a new style of offense, you've got a new quarterback, so you've got a quarterback moving to wide receiver. It's going to be flying by the seat of your pants to get everything installed. FaceTime and Zoom calls are not very conducive to the relationship between receivers and quarterbacks. And this is an offense that's going to be built in many respects on quick decisions from the quarterback and understanding where his receivers are going to be, them understanding where to be. It's tough to do that on a diagram. You've got to get out on the field. So there is going to be that added challenge for Mississippi State. I would add another challenge. We've seen this in Major League Baseball. Baseball has very little personal contact, certainly by comparison to football. But what have we seen? We've seen teams that will keep playing. And then we've seen teams who, hey, we're not playing this weekend. We're seeing that in high school football where some games are being canceled and moved around due to some flare-ups within individual teams. This is going to be a unique year. It's going to be, we well, we certainly hope unique, <laughs> that we don't have to repeat it again after the season. It's going to take a lot of adjustments. But all that being said, here's the good news. You're going to have an experienced quarterback, and you've got some athletes, and you've got a guy who, if nothing else, knows his system. He's not riding it up in the dirt. He's done it before. So hopefully Mississippi State can kind of navigate those challenges. No doubt, Charlie, and we'll talk about those quarterbacks. We'll talk to Matt Wyatt, who, of course, serves as the color analyst for Mississippi State on the radio network, also hosts the pregame and postgame with me and Charlie, and has the Matt Wyatt Show heard every day throughout the state of Mississippi. So Matt's on the other side of the break. Once again, our fine folks at Farm Bureau bringing us and presenting Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. And it's time now for our guest line segment brought to you each week by Country Pleasing Sausage. Country Pleasing down on Highway 49 in Florence. And, Charlie, when I think of Country Pleasing Sausage, I think of Country Pleasing Matt Wyatt. Matt, I'll tell you <laughs> what, man, it's amazing. It's, it's uh, over the last year, we've had a lot of fun talking with Henry Cooper. Of course, Henry's a longtime friend of mine. And, but I'll tell you yeah. what, it just, uh, it just fits. It's easy to promote a product that's really, really good. Well, and it's easy for me to promote it when I eat it literally every day, Bart. (laughs) Listen, I'm not saying this because, you know, he's your sponsor or he sponsors my show or anything. I'm being honest, 100% honest. You can verify this with my wife. I eat it every morning. And that's even during a time for me when I started in February deciding I needed to, you know, lose a few pounds, right? and losing a few then turned into losing about 40. Yeah. <laughs> um, and But during that time, literally every single morning, my I'm a routine guy, and my breakfast routine every morning is oatmeal, the real deal, steel-cut oats, toast, and I chop up and fry in the skillet uh, country-pleasing sausage. And I think what's happening is, at my local Kroger, everybody's buying up the original smoked sausage flavor. Yep. So they're kind of like, they always have plenty of the jalapeno and cheddar, which is my favorite. So yes, that's sir. pretty much what I get every time is jalapeno and cheddar. I eat it literally every day. 
Of course, we're talking with Matt Wyatt, host of the Matt Wyatt Show throughout the state of Mississippi every day. Of course, the color analyst for Mississippi State football on the radio also joins uh, Charlie and I on the pregame and postgame. And Matt, uh, talking about Mississippi State's offense, and Charlie and I just a few moments ago, we were talking about Mike Leach and coming to Mississippi State. And, you know, so much has been talked about the quarterback position, about the reads and whatnot. For a former quarterback, let's take the elementary third grade version of this. As a quarterback walking to the line of scrimmage, when you start talking about reads and looks, what's the first thing you're doing when you break that huddle? Most of the time, Bart, what they're doing is they're counting, you know, the number of safeties, and then that determines everything else they see. <clears throat> and different coaches teach it differently. I'll give you one example. My senior year of college, right at 20 years ago, when Sparky Woods came, that was his first year as the OC at State, was my senior year, that 99 season. The way he taught it that year uh, was really effective for me. It was easy for me to learn. We would call out. The first thing we did in reading the covers, we'd call out the number of safeties, either one safety or two. Now, nowadays it's a little different because sometimes they use three safeties, right? When they go in, you know, it's nickel, but technically you've got three people on the field who are safety personnel. But it's still going to be based off a one safety or a two safety look. And so we used to go to the line and we'd hold up our hands on both sides and either hold up the number one or the number two and scream out one or two so that both sets of receivers on both sides of the ball could see clearly what I'm identifying as the coverage, the start of the coverage. So so every quarterback is starting with, do I see a single high safety? You'll see some coaches use that term, or two high safeties, right? And then everything then kind of is um, is based off of that. Okay, if you have one single high safety, then there's really only two possibilities for the coverage, and that is either a version of cover three, which is the safety in the middle and corners who drop and play a third of the deep third of the field, or they play man-to-man defense underneath it and leave that safety in the middle. And the only way it changes is if they rotate out of it. So I know that's a lot of words, but to answer your question, those quarterbacks are going to the line. They're identifying coverage first by where are the safeties and how many are, are there of them. And, you know, I think that really is an interesting point y'all are talking about because that's a huge part of what, what Mike Leach does. He simplifies everything. And, buddy – I'm telling you, in certain situations, if they see one safety, they're going to throw the ball down the field. They're just going to basically force teams to say, look, if you want to play with one safety and put people around the box, we're throwing a ball down the field. We're going to see if we can catch it or not, you know, and force them to back off, force them to put two high safeties, which what does that do? If you go two high safeties, it removes a defender from the box. It lightens up the numbers right around the line of scrimmage gives you a chance to run the ball if you want to, gives you a better chance to complete an easy screen, which we're going to be a screen team. So I think it's neat y'all are talking about that because that's a huge part of what we're going to do. Matt, so many times when we think about passing games, we think about this idea that it's complicated, that there's a lot of variations that go into it, a lot of technicalities. One of the things that really struck me hearing Gardner Minshew talk about Mike Leach was how simple the system yeah. was what yeah. is it that makes what seems to be uh, kind of a, a high flying wide open type offense 
also reasonably simple to run. You know what I think, Charlie? You could almost illustrate it by what K.J. Costello, or we could start the conversation by what K.J. Costello said yesterday in the press conference. They made him and uh, uh, Will Rogers available. K.J.'s really sharp. It's interesting to listen to him talk. But he pointed out one thing about this offense that's different than the way he ran things and the offense he ran at Stanford. He says, is here, it's take what the defense gives you right now. He said, you know, in other offenses, it's sometimes they may give you this, that, but given this situation, let's hold the ball. Let's see if we can get a guy open. Let's see if he can come open down here. We can always come back down. He goes, no, and this, if they give it to you and it's five yards in front, just take it. Take it right now, whatever they give you. I like that because as a quarterback, what does it do? It simplifies a little, just one thing. Take one thing out of the thinking process and simplify. If it's open, hit it now. Take it. If it's third and eight, and we're running a route that involves a mesh over the football, like right in front of me, five yards in front of me. If that mesh comes open at five, get him the ball. See if he can turn it up and make eight. You know, take it right. So it takes the ball out of the quarterback's hands. He gets rid of it quicker, more often not holding the football. And Matt, along those lines, it just gives the appearance of this offense is built around the way the ball is distributed to different receivers, that it's yep. more about numbers than it is about individual matchups. Yes, absolutely. That's it. It's, I, You know, that's a great point, Bart, because you could even use a stat that would illustrate that. It's not about taking a certain matchup all the time. When Mike Leach took over at Washington State, the year before he got there, I don't remember the coach's name at Washington State before he got there, but their offense the year before he got there was pretty good. They threw it around the field some. They had one player, one receiver, who caught the huge majority of the completions <laughs> the year before he got there. There was basically one guy who was like a 1,200-yard receiver at Washington State the year before he got there. Well, then in Mike Leach's first year, they they did throw the ball for more yards than they did the year before. But you notice that one player who did return, um, his actual his receptions went down, yards went down a little bit, and his touchdowns went down. But everybody else's receptions and touchdowns on that team went up. Does that make sense? So that's a great example of right before Mike got to Washington State versus the year he got there. You can just look at it. year before, they had one guy who was the focal point. We're going to take his matchup against everybody we play. Mike goes in there, and they're throwing it to everybody, spreading the football around based on the defense. That would be one great way to illustrate that. Matt, I was listening to some NFL coverage over the weekend, and one of the commentators suggested the idea that football on the offensive side is becoming more positionless, the idea that – you're an offensive football player. If you're not the quarterback or a lineman, you may be a tight end. You may be a back. You could be a lot of different things. But then I go and I look at Mike Leach, and a lot of times as a fan, you tend to be, well, there's just five receivers out there. There are four receivers. But then you go look at this coaching staff. We got different guys coaching inside receivers and outside receivers. What's the difference in terms of where you line up on the field and what your role is within this offense? Yeah, you know, um, I think, Charlie, after we watch a couple of ball games too, we're, we're probably going, I'll have an even better answer for you, you know. But I think right now, just based on watching some practice and, and watching some film and trying to understand it, the big, tall guys are on the outside, obviously. 
And that's one thing this group, this personnel group has. I don't know if y'all talked about that, but you look and go, man, Osiris Mitchell, 6'5". You know, Terrell Shaver, 6'6". Right? I mean, there's a there's some guys lining up on the outside uh, in, in this offense. Um, Ducking, Caleb Ducking, 6'5", who are big and tall. So you got height on the outside, which gives you a uh, big-time back-shoulder possibilities when you play teams that want to play man-to-man, but their guys are small at corner. And it gives you big-time opportunities to throw that jump ball or throw that back corner fade or back shoulder jump ball in the end zone. Okay, so you got size on the outside. So size is one differentiator. Um, if you look at the slot, typical slot stuff, like the biggest slot receiver you have right now on a football team be Austin Williams, right? It, I mean, he's about 6'3". You got Javante Payton in there at about six feet, and then you got a couple guys under six feet, freshmen and Griffin and, and uh, Wally, who are really good players and going to play a lot and catch a lot of balls lot and they use them differently you know so in the slot you're trying to find someone who can a mix of players charlie one guy who can let's say he gets man-to-man but he's big enough to you know run a man-to-man route but heads with a linebacker and still catch a contested ball against a bigger linebacker we got another guy in that same position who if we get him matched up He's going to outrun a hybrid safety, you know, like a Tulu Griffin will run right by him, even though he's smaller. So there's some of that based on person that you're playing against. You know what? I'll, I'll throw this in there, too. I think y'all are going to find this interesting when you watch the offense hit the, hit the field. The tight ends in this offense. See, you've got huge tight ends. And Aquarius Spivey and Brad Cumbus playing inside. You know, and Mike Leach has a funny quote. He said, well, we don't really have tight ends. We just have tighter receivers. <laughs> and those two particular players, you watch them in practice, and they are physical receivers. They have taught these guys, look, you are so big and strong compared to a lot of these defensive backs, safeties, and even some linebackers you're going to play. If they're in zone coverage and they squat in a place where you're going to make your cut, run into them. Knock them down. I'm out here watching one-on-ones, and, man, I'll watch Brad Cumbus run slam into a strong safety and just pummel the guy and then cut, and he's wide open because he's about knocked the guy on his rear end. So yeah, they, that guy has no chance. He has no chance. And so they're coaching players from a technique standpoint in a totally different way than they've ever been coached. And, you know, it's just practice, but I'll tell you this. Bart, I mentioned this to you, I think, in a text message. Um, that, you talk about throwing and catching. It's a it's a sight to see. Now, whether or not you know how it pans out on game day, we'll see about that. But you take those first two quarterbacks, in Costello and Rogers, and they rate the rate. First of all, the pace that they run all the passing drills and practice is a sight to see in and of itself. Just the amount of reps they're getting off in a short period of time. But then you know. They're going 30 and 45 minutes of, um, you know, two, three different pass drills, including one-on-ones and running pass scale and then three-on-twos when they run screens. And there's never a wasted rep by anybody. You don't see receivers getting knocked down, getting knocked off their route. You don't see balls getting thrown that aren't catchable. 
they are throwing and catching the football. It's really a sight to see. Talk with Matt Wyatt. Matt, before we turn you loose, so much has been talked about when Mike Leach was hired. If you look at the glass half empty, well, what's going to happen when he gets in the SEC? The speed of the league on defense, it's a different game. This guy had a lot of success in 97 and 98 as the offense coordinator at Kentucky. Now, he did have a quarterback named Tim Couch. But getting in this league and knowing this league, how do you think SEC defensive coordinators are going to line up against Mike Leach's offense? I think um, early on there will be a little bit of, okay, let's be conservative and see what they're capable of. You know, once you put a game or maybe even a half, but certainly a game or two on film, they're going to size you up. Bart, and they're going to come after you. Okay, so I don't know if it happens in the first game, but but it might. And and I think early on, teams are going to check your oil, so to speak. They're going to come after you. They're going to say, "All right, we're going to play some man, and we're going to blitz you." And if you, we're just going to keep doing that until you prove to us, KJ Costello, that you can beat our blitz. And you do. You have to beat it. And that's really it's it's not unusual to say that that happens with everybody. But if you're an offense that's going to air it out and you're going to eliminate teams' pass rush by throwing the ball quickly and you're going to stand in that pocket, they're going to blitz you. They're going to play some man-to-man and blitz you. So you're just going to have to beat it. So some guys are going to have to make some man-to-man catches. Uh, You're going to have some times where a senior quarterback in K.J. Costello is going to see, you know, two off the edge. If I've got five-man protection, just five offensive linemen, right, and they rush six. A lot of times you'll see a six-man box, a four-down lineman, two linebackers. Well, if all six of those come and I've got five-man protection, I, somebody's free, i got to get rid of the football. They're going to have to prove to people that they can read blitz and complete it against blitz and hurt you against blitz. All it takes is one. All it takes is one time in that LSU game, Bart, where that scenario I just described happens. We go empty or we get five out in the route. I've only got five blockers. They bring six, and I make them pay. I found a one-on-one. I threw it up top and say, uh, you know, a Shavers runs it down and takes it to the house from 45 yards out. All you got to do is once, and that changes how everybody plays you after that. And that's Matt Wyatt. Matt, hey, we appreciate it. Man, yeah, good I, to hear y'all's voices. I appreciate you uh, stepping into the expert segment in place of Jason Crowder. Oh, man, I miss Jason. <laughs> Well, I mean, we couldn't get Jason, and we, we were we were going to have him as part of our expert uh, panel. And uh, since we couldn't get him, we decided to, to go to the next best. Right. <laughs> Taking up your sarcasm, by the way. <laughs> Appreciate you, Matt. Yeah, thank you, boys. Talk to you soon. Yes, sir. And that's Matt Wyatt with the Mississippi State Radio Network, color analyst, host of the Matt Wyatt Show. He joins me and Charlie on the pregame and postgame shows with Mississippi State football. It's hard to believe. Next weekend, next Saturday, State on the road in Baton Rouge taking on the LSU Tigers, and the band will get back together. We'll talk with Matt and Neil and Jay when we get that uh, get the season rolling next week. And this segment brought to you by Country Pleasing Sausage. Country Pleasing. Get that jalapeno cheddar that Matt was talking about, the pineapple and pork. You've got the, just the old original, the old safety net. Country Pleasing, bringing you our guest line segment each week. Back with more on Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau.
And welcome back to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. Bart Gregory, Charlie Winfield. It's always great to talk with our good friend, Matt Wyatt. Man, old Matt can talk, can he? <laughs> <laughs> I love Matt. Good friend. That's the thing. You know, it's it's easy to broadcast when you're, when you're uh, dealing with your friends. You've got Matt, of course, Charlie and I. We've known each other for a long time as well. We've known Crowder for a long time, but do we put him in the friends group too? I don't know if he's on the first page of the text list. Probably not. It's time now for our five big things brought to you each week by our friends at Cannon Ford of Start. Well, what, Cannon Ford, appreciate those guys jumping on. And I tell you what, here's the thing. We talked about Farm Bureau. We talked about Country Pleasing and now Cannon Ford. We talk about people that we deal with on a daily basis. Chris Keene, the general manager at Cannon Ford, big Mississippi State guy. I've known Chris literally all my life. And here's the thing about the car business, and you know this, Charlie. It's all about trying to find someone in the car business that you can trust. And let's be honest, the perception is out there that sometimes there's not a lot of guys in the car business that you can trust. But those guys at Cannon Ford, I took my car in just on Monday. It got up early in the morning. The car battery was dead and it always happens on the busiest day i took it to cannon here and start with cannon ford they had me out running in a heartbeat so i was able to get out and the service is great their sales are perfect they do a great job and the cannon motors bringing you our five big things so charlie what's number five are we going to are we going to go in descending order or are we going to go in ascending order I think we'll just we'll work our way up the list. And just as a little bit of background, typically on this segment, what we're going to do is go back and look at the game that was played. And we're going to try to find five things that impacted the game that were not perhaps obvious. People remember the touchdowns. People remember bad offensive pass interference calls at the very end of games that take away a team's chance to win Sunday night, as an example. Those type things you remember. But what we try to do is go back and find that second down play that might have been overlooked or something that led to things happening. Today, obviously, we don't have a game, so what we thought we would do is take a look at what I'm going to call five myths about Mike Leach. There's obviously a a big book on Mike Leach, a number of books about Mike Leach, in fact, but there's a big history and these ideas that have kind of been created about Mike Leach. So I want to take a look and let's talk through what I think are five myths about a Mike Leach football team. And the first. Are we going under the eye patch? And first, (laughs) I would say the number one thing is the idea that Mike Leach is not a disciplinarian. Mike Leach is a colorful character. He's one of these guys that you see. But we talked about this in our opening segment, Bart. This is a hard-nosed coach. And there is going to be an adjustment for this football team from the style of that they were coached under under the past two seasons to what is in front of them now. You know, and I go back to that first segment we talked about, about how it's all derived from the head coach through the strength and conditioning staff. And that's one of the things you have to see. And one of the first things that really jumped out to me when this team started practice is they're running everywhere. They're going all over the place. And it's organized chaos. It's not like they don't know what they're doing. That was the Ron Cooper defense of 2003. We're Ooh. talking about these guys know what they're doing, and there are consequences if they make mistakes. And it's a hard nose. They're, they hit each other. The, he, Mike Leach talked about when he came here about how much he loves the explosions between offensive and defensive linemen. 
and about the hard knocks of the game. And I go back to the point. People may think this may be an offense that's built on finesse, but you do have some physicality in there. And the interesting thing to watch is going to be what's going to happen when a player crosses the line? What's going to happen when a player breaks the rules? Mike Leach has some very firm rules. Number one, you don't do drugs. You don't steal from teammates. You don't get involved with inappropriate actions with women. If you do, you aren't going to be around. And those things aren't going to be covered up. And the thing to know about Mike Leach is it doesn't matter what your name is. It doesn't matter what your experience is. You're going to be held to that standard. You know, Jimmy Johnson, back when he coached the Cowboys, used to have a saying that he had one rule. He treated everybody different. And so if you're Emmett Smith, there's one set of rules. That's not how it works with Mike Leach. He kind of reminds you of of an old school coach. The social awareness, the self-esteem, he doesn't care about what you say about him on social media. He doesn't Google his name. He doesn't search on Twitter to see what they're saying about Mike Leach. He's worried about what's in front of him, and that's it. And it's going to be a big challenge, I predict, for some of these guys to make that adjustment from themselves wanting to read Twitter at halftime to being away from it. We'll be a better football team because they do, but there's going to be a transition. Myth number one, the idea that Mike Leach is not a disciplinarian. Okay, what's number two? That ball control doesn't matter in this offense. There's this idea with Mike Leach that he just gets out, throws it around, go, 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 and the time of possession doesn't matter. But if you dig in the numbers, you go back and you look at his experience at Washington State, in the past five seasons, eighth, second, second, third, and fifth in time of possession in the Pac-12. Last year, where they averaged about 29 and a half minutes a game of time of possession, the only time in those five seasons that they did not win the time of possession battle, there's a lot of throwing the football, but there's also a lot of moving the football and holding on to the football. And when you go back and you add it up, Washington State just as good at controlling the football as a lot of run-oriented football teams. And that kind of plays off what Matt Wyatt said in the last segment about the quarterbacks taking what's given to them early. You're not trying to do something that's not there or hold on to it too long to, to try to do too much. You're taking what's given to you. If that's a mesh route in the middle, if that's a seam route with an inside receiver, or if it's a one-on-one matchup on the outside, you're kind of taking what's given to you which allows you to stay on the field. But here's what it also does, Charlie, is it puts you in situations where if you can hit that short hitch route on first down, then it's second down and three. We talk so many times about putting yourself in position to convert on third downs. Where are you on third downs? Is it third down and eight? Is it third down and three? In this offense, third down and three, you've got a lot of options. It's almost like a two-point conversion every third down so if you can get to that third down and three which mike leach does a lot of one is it gives you an opportunity on third down but he also goes forward on fourth down a good bit as well so the idea that mississippi state will not be a ball control team despite going to the passing game i would say is is a myth so that myth number two so myth number three and this is one that is interesting the idea that because mike leach came running backs don't matter Ooh. And so when Mike Leach was hired, what did a lot of people say? Boy, that's going to ruin Kylan Hill. Mike Leach has a chance to make Kylan Hill a lot of money. He has a chance to make Kylan Hill look really good for NFL teams because what do we see more and more in the NFL? 
You need running backs who can catch the football and spread the field. Look at what Washington State's done at the running back position. By the way, last year, Washington State, a team that doesn't run it much, their running back had more yards per carry than Kylan Hill. About half the carries, but more yards per carry. Had more rushing touchdowns than did Kylan Hill. But how about this? Mississippi State's all-time leading receiver in terms of number of receptions in a a single season, Fred Ross, at 88. Last year, Washington State's running back had 86. Yeah. So we're talking about a guy in Kylan Hill who's going to get a ton of carries, but he's also going to get the football a lot. What do NFL guys look at? They want to see playmakers. Hand it to them, throw it to them. That was a great Mike Leach line one time. He said, didn't understand why people thought he doesn't care about the running back. The idea of his offense is to get the football to the best players. Running back's usually one of your best players, and he happens to be closer to the quarterback. Give him the football. And I think you're going to see that. It may be tossed instead of handed, but Kylan Hill is going to matter. And you go back to the point about what you see in the NFL. You have specific third down backs. Sometimes the smaller guys that are used to catching the football. Kylan Hill, you have that sample size already. He's a guy that can run between the tackles and break tackles, and you add this to it. Yeah, like you said, Charlie, this could make him a lot of money. Jaquavius Marks is a guy I can't wait to see in this offense, too. 5'9 guy from Atlanta. You know, young guy, has a lot of promise. Four-star guy out of Georgia. Guys like Kylan Hill and Marks could be really, really big playmakers in this offense. Yeah, and put a note by Marks. He's going to be one of those guys that's going to be interesting to see how he develops. I have always loved the excitement of young players. I think with Tulu, I think with Marks, I think you got some guys who have a chance to bring not only some playmaking, but some excitement from those young guys. Jaquavius Marks, man, I tell you what, that's got a chance to be really, really special. What's number four? That Mike Leach does not value defense. Again, you go back to this idea of teams that throw the football a lot. You, What was the old joke, uh, hurry up and let them score so we can get the ball back? Mike Leach is a football coach, and he understands, even though he is an offensive-minded guy, you win games by scoring more points than your opponent. And you go and you look in the past five seasons, eighth, fifth, fourth, sixth, seventh. So right in the middle of the league in the Pac-12, year after year in terms of allowing points, while also being at the top of scoring, I think it is a complete fallacy to say that defense won't matter to Mississippi State. Now, it is a very different thing to say whether we'll be good or not at defense. It doesn't matter how much value you place on it. If you're Mike Leach coming in, your roster was essentially set. It is what it is. You can't go get more backs. You can't go get more defensive linemen. You have what you have. But to say that it won't matter, I think, is is a myth. And Zach Arnett in that 3-3-5 is a fiery guy as well. And Boy, and a straight shooter, isn't he? He will tell it like it is. And so, you know, we're, we're going to tell, we're going to get a good gauge about where we are as a defense in week one against LSU. And, and we'll talk about that a little bit in the next segment about kind of how the schedule sets up. But I tell you what, I mean, we still have some guys like Errol Thompson, you have some guys like a Kobe Jones up front. I mean, we still have, while we're going to be thin, we're still going to have some playmakers on that defensive side. All right, what's number five? Yeah, the fifth one is that this offense won't work in the SEC. We've been hearing that a lot over the past few months, this idea that, well, that's just a Pac-12 offense or it's a Big 12 offense, it's a gimmick offense. It's not. Look, I don't care whether you're handing it off. I don't care whether you're throwing it. I don't care what you're doing. The premise of the offense 
is to find matchups that are favorable and to attack places that they aren't. And it's interesting, if you listen to Mike Leach, what offense does he praise more than anything? The wishbone. This is a guy who understands offensive football, and he understands that to succeed, you have to attack gaps in the defense, and you have to find those matchups, and you have to value quick decision-making. Hand it off, throw it, it doesn't matter. To me, the idea that living in the SEC, that we are somehow so far elevated above the basic fundamentals of football that a passing attack won't work is just candidly silly. Spent some time at Kentucky in 97 and 98. Had success there with Hal Mummy. He got the Texas Tech job based upon what he did in the SEC. And let's look back even further about the success of this offense at Valdosta State. Now, football has morphed. Football has changed a great deal in the last 20 years. The one thing you have to say about the SEC in the late 1990s is there was a lot of emphasis at that time on the defensive side of the football. It was tough back then. It was rugged back then. Now, the flip side of that is is you didn't prepare as much for this style of offense. Now these teams are developing more and understanding these offenses more that are passing attacks. But you look back to the physicality of defenses in the mid to late 1990s, it's not like he's jumping in for the first time against the SEC because back then, you think of those defenses that we had. Oh, my goodness. We'd sign three or four top running backs and make them strong safeties. You know, you think about Pig Prather back there. We had some guys, your Ashley Coopers. There were some serious athletes on the defensive field back then. Yeah, one of our two losses that year in that 1998 SEC Western Division Championship year, one of those losses was to Kentucky, a team that put up 37 against what we thought was one of the best defenses in the country. So, anyway, just food for thought. And, of course, those five big things brought to you by our friends at Cannon Motors here in Starkville. If you're looking for a new or used car, looking for a little service as well, great people, Chris Keene and the gang at Cannon Ford here in Starkville. Back with a final wrap, we'll talk about the schedule and how everything kind of sets up for Mississippi State in this quirky 2020 football season. You're listening to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. Final segment of Out of Left Field presented by Farm Bureau. Bart Gregory and Charlie Winfield. Appreciate you hanging out with us. And once again, I'd like to thank our fine folks at uh, WFCA carrying the show each week, Thursdays from 6 to 7. Of course, uh, on the podcast as well, Google Play, Google Podcasts. Not Google Play anymore. It's Google Podcasts. You've got iTunes, of course, Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, TuneIn. And so, Go in there and subscribe to Out of Left Field, the Out of Left Field podcast. We'll be putting this up on podcast after the show tonight on a WFCA. Charlie, we talked about how crazy this season is going to be. And in years past, you could essentially buy three wins. Now with 10 games, and they're all in the SEC, the first week you're going to travel down to Baton Rouge. As nuts as everything has already been with college football, you're not going to be able to ease into it like you have been in years past 
trying to implement a new offense and a new defense. No, you're not. But I'll tell you this. If you've got to play 10 games in the SEC and you know you've got to play the teams in the West, I can't think of a better time to play LSU. Now, that's not to say that there is a good time to ever do it. But if you've got to play the game, you might as well play it right off the bat. This is a team that basically had every starter on their team drafted. They've had some guys opt out, although one or two have come back. But it's also a team, Bart, you and I have talked about this. It is one thing to handle adversity. It's another thing to handle success. Yes, sir. And there are a lot of teams and a lot of programs over the years who have struggled to recover from wins. LSU is going to have to figure out if they can recover from a championship and be back to playing a new coach, a new style of offense that they haven't seen. Yeah, I look back to so many times when you see teams have so much success and they're built with a chip on their shoulder. Last year's LSU team was built with a chip, and now they also had a big-time chip at quarterback. (laughs) And Joe Burrow, who had one of the most magnificent years of college football ever, ever, ever. And so now you've got to be able to come back from that with all the noise around you on the outside, with all the COVID, with so many things going on, to be able to have that same edge is going to be tough. And like you said, Charlie, if I'm going to play LSU, I want to play them early in the season. Well, and let's add this to it as well. LSU has some significant coaching changes of their own. Oh, yeah. Joe Brady, who was widely credited as being the play caller a year ago, is gone. He's now in the NFL as an offensive coordinator. And if they're – I've worked very, very hard not to advocate the removal of coaches. I realize that these are people – and they have lives. But I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan. <laughs> I knew you were going to say this. And Scott Linehan was one of the worst offensive coordinators that I could possibly have imagined. And I couldn't wait to get him out of there. And you know what? If he has to go somewhere, send him to one of my opponents. Couldn't be happier for the guy. Now, last year I made a lot of fun of Tennessee and Philip Fulmer, and it came back to bite me. I mean, I had to eat my own words. And I'm, I'm knocking on wood right now that you don't have to eat your own words on this deal. So when you look throughout the season, you play five home games, five games on the road. Uh, you, you watch the three home non-conference games. You replace that with Vanderbilt at home. Tickets, everything has been just a crazy year. The Bulldog Club trying to get everything out right now as far as the seating locations. And so this year will definitely look different. It will – not have the same fire every time you walk out there to play a, a college football game on a Saturday night at Davis Wade Stadium or in Baton Rouge. And that's another thing, Charlie, is having to go on the road to LSU and the Alabamas and the Georgias of the world. Yes, they're tough places to play. And then you play the guys who have that uh, LSU on the front of that uniform. But you don't have to contend with what you've had to contend with in the past of going on the road and it's, it's interesting to, to hear guys talking about playing in the NFL, about the checks at the line of scrimmage they can make. The game just sounds completely different because you can walk yourself through a lot of changes at the offensive line without hand signals now. Well, you can. The other thing you better do is you better be prepared to stay on sides defensively. Saw that a lot in the NFL. It doesn't take a very hard snap count to sound hard in those empty stadiums. <laughs> guys coming flying off sides. So it's going to be an adjustment. But, look, if you got to play LSU – Play them first, and then from there, look, it's going to be one week at a time, not even the cliched version. It's not the, hey, we're just trying to be 1-0 this week. I think from week to week, we're just going to have to see whether games are played, what adjustments are made, when they're played, but I'm just very encouraged by the fact that we're getting going. Next week, we'll take more of a deep dive into LSU and the SEC. We'll 
deep, uh, take a little bit deeper dive into some stats as well and try to get you ready for game week next week here on Out of Left Field presented by Farm Bureau. Once again, our thanks to our fine friends at Farm Bureau. Go with the home team and make sure you check out the Farm Bureau app. Our thanks to our friends at Country Pleasing Sausage and Cannon Ford of Starville as well. Had a blast again, Charlie. It's hard to believe football season's here. It is indeed. It's almost that time. So until next week, we'll say so long. You've been listening to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau.